Eva, I emailed ahead about meeting with David. Yes, hi. Hi. How's it going? It's good. How are you? Doing great. Oh my god, it's so hot outside. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so red ink is, is part of uh, a tradition, uh, we would say, of uh, a radical or alternative uh, info shops, um, something that started, uh, I think, in the mid to late 60s here in the United States of uh, uh, places where uh, people would be able to get together and talk about issues or ideas that were sort of outside the mainstream, uh, especially mm -hmm. leftist ideas. Uh, Reading Community Library is a circulating lending library and also a community organizing space, uh, primarily focused on issues of social, political, and economic justice. And uh, the vast majority of the collection came out of an old union hall up in Swampskit, Massachusetts. Uh, uh, an older gentleman who um, I think they were closing down the Union Hall, and, and he was selling the books off piecemeal, um, just in, in, in small lots at a time. Yeah. And I saw them online, and uh, I reached out and I said, "You, would you be interested in entertaining an offer for the entire collection?" Yeah. And he said yes. So I, I drove a, a rented truck up to Swampscott and loaded two thousand pounds worth of books into the back of this truck and wow. drove it back down here. at the exact right moment where I was so receptive to making mistakes, to like being in community with other people, to just practicing a lot and trying new things. It really was the sweet spot. Um, and because of my personality, uh, things that are easy can't be good. I've got real big, like, I know it all, I can do it myself, it's got to be a struggle energy. Scorpio, Capricorn rising, it's a lot, it's a lot of blockheadedness. So I was like a very serious woodworker, and that was what I was paying money to go to school for and felt very passionate about it. I worked in wood shops for like eight years and uh, found my way back to pottery like several years ago because I just really missed it and was like, oh, right, this, this is nice. There's no dust, it's very quiet, it's nice in the summer, I'm good at it. It's not burdensome in the way that furniture is like, if you make a mistake in a piece of wood, there's not really any coming back from it. And it's heavy and there's a lot of toxic masculinity and it's like a whole industry of men. But that's, I'm like, okay, it's, the kiln is hot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like with furniture, it's like you are actually lifting like, you know, you're lifting like a 16 foot slab of wood. It's like a different, <laughs> type of toxic masculinity yeah. whereas ceramics is like ugh, whatever like it's more doable for me personally uh because i just it's silly i'm like how arrogant can you really be very arrogant. very <laughs> yes <laughs>
So this particular place that has that's been here, been in in service to the to the east side and to the Camp Street neighborhood, has has gone through lots of different uh, evolutions. Mm. Uh, it opened up as a candy store <laughs> a long time ago, um, and was sort of a pillar of the community uh, before becoming a dry cleaners and then a uh, local police substation okay. um, about ten years ago. And uh, the theory was that uh, having more of a, a police presence in the neighborhood uh, would deter crime or, or would to, uh, somehow uh, improve uh, community services. It did neither of those things. No, it rarely does, I think. <laughs> So, so they left, and they left the the place vacant uh, for several years, and it became uh, something of a dumping ground. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very common to see abandoned furniture sitting out on the sidewalk here. Um, but then, uh, coming out of twenty twenty and all of the protest and enthusiasm and energy that people had around the political process, uh, there were. Uh, there were a lot of people who were able to get involved and to join community groups, mostly through online resources. Uh, so virtual uh, meetings and online chat rooms and those kinds of things allowed people to organize uh, without having to meet in person. Uh, but then going into 2021, and in the early part of 2021, I think a lot of people realized that in order to sustain that momentum, in order to keep it going and turn it into something more productive, that face-to-face organizing was going to have to happen. One of the things that has struck me uh, being here a lot uh, is the frequency with which somebody will come in uh, new to the space and will sit down and start talking to me about all of their political ideas. (laughs) Uh, They'll have something on their mind and they just want to share it with somebody. Yeah. And um, it occurs to me that there aren't that many spaces in the world that are specifically devoted to uh, conversations about political thought, uh, Mm. about the way people feel about collective decision-making and the distribution of resources, especially not places where you can sit down and do that for free. But it's very much true at the same time that the mini revolution uh, that the uh, that the pandemic and lockdown revealed or or allowed to happen uh, of of digital resources is not something that's going to disappear anytime soon mm. and so most of the time when we have meetings here uh, there there all there's going to be a hybrid component in fact our most notorious incident here at Red Ink was was the first time that we ever did any kind of live streaming. This was sort of like the big first big event that we were planning after the big COVID surge over the winter. So we were putting a lot into it. Uh, we, we advertised it pretty heavily on Facebook and in other social media forums. Uh, the plan was to read the first chapter of the Communist Manifesto. Um, we also had a, a short. Um, presentation in the beginning where we read the uh, preamble in 10 different languages. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, we had volunteers from around the world submit uh, videos of themselves. Uh, Amazing. Uh, reading translated versions of the of the preamble. And it was 
uh, incredible to see. Um, so it was going really well. <laughs> we got about 45 minutes of the way through the event. It wasn't supposed to go that much longer. Uh, and we had almost finished the first chapter um, when we heard a, a really loud banging at the front and noticed that there were at least 10 to 15 people outside shouting and, and, and yelling and banging on the windows. and. trying to convince us to, to go home and to stop and to, to quit and not do this anymore. We were all sort of taken uh, by surprise at that and uh, noticed that they were, you know, wearing a lot of insignia associated with fascist groups and uh, they also had a, um, a flag with a swastika on it. Yeah, so that was pretty terrifying, uh, especially in a neighborhood that is sort of at the intersection of a traditionally black neighborhood and a traditionally Jewish neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It clearly wasn't just a political disagreement. Mm -hmm. It was something where they were hoping to use fear and intimidation to, uh, to uh, force us not to, mm -hmm. not to study, not to read, not to, not to congregate or, or associate with each other. So. In, in the days following, there were a lot of people who made connections between that particular incident and the, the broader trend of people uh, criticizing and focusing on the kinds of books that are being shared in mm. schools or in yeah. classrooms, uh, in, in public libraries, uh, that um, exposure to certain kinds of literature would be harmful or detrimental to children or to the public. Yeah, I mean, the focus, that's the Yeah, I mean, the reason that I like to tell people about my undergraduate degree is because that's really where these values are formed. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been identifying as a angry feminist for a very long time but didn't really know how to put that into practice. Uh, and it felt like all of the experience I had working in wood shops with terrible dudes um, and sourcing material from other terrible dudes. And even if they weren't terrible, it's like, you're, can we just get one woman up in here? Like, can we just, it, the whole, it's just a sea of men. And that is very upsetting. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so like, I mean, clay comes from the earth, like, and it is an un, you can use it forever if you reclaim it right, you know what I mean? And it's more, it's more affordable. It's not without its flaws, like we're still mining to get the materials, but Cer the ceramic industry, like in the U.S. at least, including it's like arts, universities, like big, like sanitary wear, like tile manufacturers, all of that is still less than 1% of the total mining industry. So am I still participating in that? Yes, 100%. And it's not that woodworking is less sustainable because at the end of the day, you're still creating a lot of different ways for something to be sustainable. If you're creating like a table that's going to last for 600 years, I would call that sustainable. Yeah. So at any rate, um, but clay just makes me feel more connected to my environment in a way that wood 
never did because it is so literally malleable and because you can feel it it's so tactile in a way that wood isn't like it's wood is hard clay is soft like wood is dry clay is wet it's like these very basic kind of seemingly obvious traits that they inhabit and it's like sensitive like a person you know it's Yeah, so we'll start over here with Rosa Luxemburg. Um, no, it, it's a fair criticism, uh, I think, in, to say that uh, that there's a big difference between primitive communalism and utopian socialism. Mm. Um, that uh, that the distance between the two is perhaps unfathomable. Um, yeah. That we can't quite see all the way from one to the other. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's a common, uh, like, insult levied at, at anarchists who are trying to build on the small scale and um, are, are, are accused of being naive of the, the larger scale. Mm. And um, I don't really blame anybody for... Uh, for trying to plug the holes in the leaky boat of capitalism, um, that uh, it, it's a it's a sinking ship, uh, and yet there are still people on it. Yeah. So, um, in fact, we're all still on it. It, it 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 doesn't hurt me. It doesn't diminish me or 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 any of the efforts that I associate myself with uh, when other people choose to save or help people in a way that that's different than, than the way that I do it. Mm. There, it. There isn't any one particular strain or tendency or or form or, or philosophy that is dominant here. Uh, we're all interested in uh, envisioning a better world. Mm. And uh, it starts with, with discussion and learning and, and organizing. Uh, even the most hardcore revolutionaries that you would read in our uh, theory section would say that revolution is always a process. Mm. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, as Marx would tell you, capitalism designs the tools of its own destruction. Mm -hmm. um, that the as capitalism begins to reveal itself as a failed economic system, there are naturally these spasms of violence that erupt mm -hmm. out of it. People both interested in, in the evolution to socialism, as well as those who are invested in the protection of the status quo. So uh, I think that it's natural at this point, as, as more and more contradictions inherent within the capitalist system are becoming so unavoidable yeah. as to become part of our daily lives. Um, whether it's the massive heat wave gripping the entire world at this point, or this uh, perplexing combination of low unemployment and high inflation mm -hmm. that uh, people can't seem to grasp 
the the very obvious roots of that particular uh, situation and yet continue to implement policies that will only continue to make it worse mm. um, that it has inspired uh, opposing groups uh, people on either side who are interested in uh, in like I said either uh, changing uh, the world to better meet the needs of society or um, protecting this this failed system mm. core values that are external and core values that are internal to guide that process. So external is what I share with the community. So like the, you know, the fact that I'm environmentally minded, the fact that this is a space for like queer and trans and BIPOC people, and I'm trying to like center those experiences, like those are things that I want people to know. And then the internal values are like, are you doing work that aligns with your vision? Are you getting enough sleep? Like, are you doing fun things? Are you going on vacation? Are you, you know, their values that are like, I don't need to share that with the world. Though I'm not hiding them, but I'm not putting them on my website. (laughs) And it's not earth-shattering ideas. Like, you have a body. Take care of your body. But in a capitalist patriarchal system, the body is just a byproduct of the work, and you just you ruin your body for the sake of the work. I was like, I got to figure out a different way. I was like, I know there's a different way. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to get there. I did have to do a tremendous amount of work and am, I mean, it's a huge practice for me. Huge. Because I know that I will not be happy in this space if I just keep repeating like all of the old adages of art making, which is like, perfection and money making and then like the hippest gallery and the name you know whatever all that shit um but yeah I mean there's I've done like one (laughs) percent in some ways this studio is the culmination of my entire adult's life's work as like a feminist and as a person of because like I was saying like I've really floated around pretty aimlessly for a long time and then I thought I had found the thing with furniture and then it turns out that that it was not so it's not that it wasn't the thing it 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 served its purpose it got me to being a creative person and a maker and someone who uses my hands and that was incredibly valuable Oh, I had to do the hard work of, of just figuring it out and being miserable and unhappy. And for a long time, I knew that there was a better model. I just really didn't know what it was. You know, there are definitely days where I feel, I feel like a fucking fraud, where I, like, come in here and I feel like shit. And... 
uh, I'm trying to be like Buddha on the mountaintop and be like, oh, it's okay if you can't center. Or meanwhile, my inner voice is like, you're a fraud, you can't do this. It's like, well, what? <laughs> it's not why we're here. But that's kind of the incredible thing about the community and the kind of ethos that I've cultivated here is when I get in those zones, like people here will take me to task in a loving way. Yeah. It creates a space for me to be vulnerable with my students, which is not very common. And what I'm trying to say is really hard for me. It's not like this is, it's not like this philosophy is something that I gravitated toward because it's something inherent to who I am. It's actually the opposite. I fight that so much, so I just ran right towards it. And some days, I, there are some days, they're not often, I will say, but there are some days where I'm like, man, I wish I was alone here so no one had to see me freaking out about the kiln tech or about the shipment that's not coming or about whatever. It's very scary to be at the center of a lot of people, but it's worked out so far that there's been so much support. Yeah. I want to help. Yeah. People want to help. So I'm trying to let them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, God. Appropriated for something a bit more community minded. Every time I hear someone who is somewhat pessimistic about the recent uh, upswing in political activity, mm. I try to liken it to waves upon the shore. Mm. That uh, they they crest and with great power and fury land on the beach and wash away, make an imprint and, and eventually ebb. Um, just in the same way that in the 60s and 70s there was a great upswing in political movement in the United States yeah. that uh, admittedly was had uh, its underpinnings in bourgeois society but still was able to create change uh, in the United States that was needed and necessary for hundreds of years, uh, which eventually faded away and was replaced with the neoconservatism of the, of the 80s. Yeah. Uh, but then a, a, another generation was able to pick up the slack in the 90s and the, the realization that it's possible to be an anti-capitalist in, in a modern society was something that, that is a lasting legacy of the 1990s. And so now that we find ourselves here again, 30 years later, again, a new generation mm -hmm. taking up the slack and and building a, a, a new political consciousness, maybe it won't overturn the world global order, but it, there's no doubt in my mind that it will have a lasting impact. I try to convince myself that it truly is nobler to suffer this LinkedIn errors of outrageous fortune. <laughs> that, uh, that really it is worth it uh, to model a post-capitalist business, to demonstrate that commerce and capitalism are not synonymous, yeah. that it is possible to, to run a business, a, a successful business, in a way that is not motivated by profit.
yeah. that, that profit is not the primary mover in, in business decision making, yeah. that, that community can come first. And um, it's, it's not easy. Uh, the whole world is designed to work in the opposite direction. Yeah. Um, and it's very difficult to talk to people who are not already convinced of the power of socialism, uh, uh, people who might potentially be donors or investors mm-hmm. in a particular idea, uh, that, that it is better off in the long run to invest in a community than it is to invest in a security or, or a monetary exchange. So um, I, I, won't, uh, I won't try to hide the fact that it's, uh, it's a struggle, but uh, it's one that I think is worth it. Okay.